Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. what your reaction was when you, maybe if you, heard about the, uh, the case with the Essendon CEO down in Melbourne, a- Andrew Thorburn, when he was um, forced to resign after a day. He was sacked, but he was forced to resign after less than 24 hours. Um, and it was because media trawled through sermons from his church from eight or ten years ago, found some stuff there about abortion uh, and same-sex marriage and that was deemed um, horrific and the church was seen as extremist and so he was forced to resign. Um, I wonder what your initial reaction was. Um, It does seem like the ground has shifted in Australia and now... Um, this is a case where um, it's persecution in a sense, but it's certainly um, now that's your open game. It's open game to view Christianity as um, horrific and wrong and evil and bad and it's okay to dismiss someone like this. Um, that seems to be the shift. And we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said... In fact, just a couple of chapters earlier than John 18, um, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, servants aren't greater than their masters. If they persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you. Um, So we shouldn't be surprised. And in a sense, that's the message of what I want to say today is, yeah, don't don't panic, don't be surprised. Um, In fact, this passage is really timely because this is sort of when... uh, up till now, Jesus has faced a lot of opposition and this, it's been bubbling along, but now it's when um, it sort of explodes full persecution um, and he is arrested and taken in. And what we see here in this passage is all kinds of evil. Um, the whole thing is disgusting. There's no goodies in this passage um, And there's evil after evil after evil. Um, Starts with betrayal. Obviously, Judas, one of the 12, has betrayed um, Jesus' love for him and turned upon him. But there's also collusion. Um, In verse 3, Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Um, This is a collusion between soldiers, this is probably not the Romans, this is probably temple guards, but the soldiers, and there's priests or officials, priestly officials, and there's the Pharisees. And mind you, they're not happy bedfellows. Pharisees are not friends with the priests, generally. The Pharisees are the sort of um, the conservative um, religious teachers. They're like a rebel movement, really. 
but the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so they've gathered together. They're, they all hate Jesus more than they hate each other, and so they've gathered together to get rid of this guy. Obviously, it's a false arrest. We find that later um, when they have trouble pinning a charge on him, but don't ever lose sight of the fact that it's a false arrest. We also see a violent retaliation from Peter. Uh, verse 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Don't think broadsword. I don't, Peter was not a soldier. I guess it might have been a machete or people use swords for a range of things, a big knife. But, um, and you can sort of get it, like at one level, like with most things Peter does, you get the reaction. It comes from a good place. But, um, but it was violence and... It, that was his reaction. We're going to use violence to sort this out. There's also nepotism and poor process. I don't know if you noticed as the story was read out, but um, in verse 12, then the company of soldiers and the commander, Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus, tied him up, and where'd they take him? Well, they took him to Annas because he's the father of, father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. They didn't take him to the officials. Um, they took him to the father-in-law because there's people in the background pulling strings. It's all who you know. Um, more collusion, more layers to this. Um, there's gutlessness. Peter started off being brave and then he turned gutless. In verse 17, then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Um, I'm not, he said. It's hard for us in our culture to understand just how much of a nobody a servant girl was. Um, they're invisible, they're, they're nothing. Um, but Peter was scared even of her, couldn't even say to her, yeah, I was one of his followers. Her testimony would have counted for nothing as well. If someone had, if she'd said, oh, no, I know, I saw him with him, no one would care. But he was too scared even there to pipe his head up and say, yeah, I was with him. And then he lies to her. He doesn't even sort of avoid it or ignore her, but he tells a lie. Bears false witness. There's all this going on. Evil after evil after evil. But despite all this, um, the biggest sense in the passage is that actually Jesus is in control. Jesus is the king. And he's in control of every tiny little bit of what's going on. So he's the one making moves all the time. He's the one driving what's going on. Um, Verse 18, after Jesus said the things, he went out with his disciples. He took them to the garden. He knew everything that was going to happen, but he took, took them there. Jesus is the one who came forward. He went forward and met the soldiers and the officials. He moved towards them. He's the one who's asking all the questions. Um, They say Jesus of Nazareth twice. He says, who are you looking for? The first time, interestingly too, the first time, what do they do? Um, Verse 6, when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and they all fell to the ground. I think that's a fascinating little detail. 
don't know whether it was just some sort of spiritual. They met this guy and realised they couldn't stand up to him. Maybe some of the guards were there reluctantly and they knew who he was. Who knows why it was, but even there, clearly he was... This was the guy that had the authority there, even to the point of people bowing down on the ground in front of him. Jesus is the one in this passage issuing all the commands... Verse 8, I told you I am he, so if you're looking for me, then let these people go. And then he commands to Peter, put this sword away, we are not doing it this way. Um, But more than any of these things, Jesus is the one who is directing where this is all going. This is all part of the plan. Peter's trying to stop this happening and Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Verse 11, at that Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away, am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus' plan is to offer himself as a sacrifice, to drink the cup, to go to the cross. Um, This is all part of the plan. Nothing here is out of control. Um, I wouldn't want to say that Jesus is like, this is not like keep calm and carry on type thing. Jesus is not exactly aloof and calm and floating through it. He's passionately involved in this. Um, He's resolute and he's determined, but he's the Lord of grace and truth and he's going to walk a road of graciously offering himself as a sacrifice and he's going to speak truth along the way. You see that, the very next thing, when he gets to court, he says true things. He doesn't stop saying true things. Um, He's not going to be shut up. He's the Lord. But he's the Lord of grace And he's not going to retaliate and he's going to walk that road, even to death. He's going to walk a road of grace, even to death. So this is sort of an arrest, but he's the one in control. It's like in The Lord of the Rings. I was a bit disappointed when the movies came out because they didn't include one of my favourite chapters, which is when the hobbits go back to the Shire at the end and, and they get arrested by the sheriffs. But because they were all battle-hardened, they just laughed and said, fine, you can arrest us if you like, but um, you're going to walk in front of us. And then when the, the sheriffs got tired, they said, fine, we'll meet you there. Um, and it was that, this is that sort of arrest. Jesus is being arrested, but um, he's the one in charge. It's all his plan. There's no panic. And this is the problem of Peter. Peter was panicking and afraid, but Jesus, everything was happening in the plan. Um, and this is a great lesson for us. Um, I think the ground has shifted, and I think it's getting more and more difficult to be Christian and to work out how to present ourselves. But all these things that we've just seen in this passage, they all exist today. Maybe... It's been pressing for Christians around the world. We don't see it so much. Maybe we've been living in a bit of a bubble here in Australia. But all these evils are part of what we need to expect as Christians. We cannot be surprised that one of us gets sacked. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3.
if I can get it. Okay, 2 Timothy 3. But know this, this is verse 1. Hard times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. We need to expect that the world is going to be evil and broken and messy. Um, the last verse that I read there in verse 5, a lot of these people are going to present as believers, holding to a form of godliness. Um, so there's still going to be people who betray Jesus and turn away. Um, just this year, I, I umpire for my boys' football and there's um, one of the guys in their team is a guy who actually the Swans brought him up to Sydney as a as a junior because they were he was a prospect um, Christian kid. And a few years back, I, I got to know him. Um, went to a church that I was connected with, and he I even asked him to mentor our younger son because he was in the Swans Academy. Um, but something's happened. I'm not sure what happened, but um, in the last year or so, he's given up his faith. And. The fascinating thing is um, he's gone from being someone who, we weren't best buddies, but we were friends, to now he won't even look at me. Um, whenever I come near him, he just turns away, walks away. Um, I've said nothing to him, but because I'm still with Jesus because of what I represent, um, we've gone from friends to not friends. In a sense, it's, it's trivial, but... It's not, a re- it's not reasonable. It's unreasonable for him to treat me badly, but it's not about me. Um, they'll be turning away. There's still going to be collusion between religious authorities and evil. Um, the Protestant church colluded with the Nazis. The Orthodox church in Russia is colluding with Putin. Um, there are... Uh, I need to be careful how I talk about this, but in the US there are um, Protestant churches colluding with right-wing Christian nationalism. Uh, you're going to expect that. There's still false arrests of Christians. Again, we're in a bit of a bubble here, but there are hundreds of countries in the world where Christians are happily put in jail. There are 10 countries in the world where it's completely illegal to be Christian, where you can be put in jail without charge, you can be executed. We can go through the list on top, off the top of my head. You've got Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Saudi Arabia. Um, your brothers and sisters are in jail right now, being executed right now just for being Christian. There's still panicked and defensive reactions from Christians. Um, you saw it with the Andrew Thorburn thing, with the Essendon CEO. Christians immediately leaping to, right, we need freedom of religion laws. Now, there, there may well be a case for a freedom of religion law. Um, but that, our first reaction can't be, we've got to defend ourselves quickly. That can't be the first reaction. Our posture can't be like that. 
not that anyone's asked me, but if I thought, I wonder what I would write. There's been a lot of action on the blogosphere about that whole thing. And I wondered, well, what would I write? I don't know what I'd write, but I want my posture to be like Jesus where um, when he was hanging on the cross, when he was drinking the cup, um, his reaction was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Um, He wasn't fighting in his defence. He also wasn't gutlessly running away, but... um, he was wanting to preach the gospel to them. He wasn't seeing them as enemies. These are people who, they don't get it. They're spiritually blind. They're in a mess. That, our posture, however, whatever it is, we actually, the actual words we say, are, that has to be our posture. Um, yeah, you don't get it, guys. You, Father, forgive them. They don't know that, what they don't have any idea what they're doing. But... Sometimes Christians pick up the sword. Nigeria is one of the most conflicted um, religiously in the world. And Nigerian Christians sometimes lose their patience and they pick up swords. That's going to happen. And there's still gutless Christians, Christians who will just sort of run with the world because it's simpler and easier. Um, I was very disappointed with what a lot of public... Christians were saying about the Andrew Thorburn thing. I'll pick on CPX because it was sort of my gang. I worked with CPX for a while. But I just thought lots of times there was just equivocation. They were saying, oh, well, we don't really know what he thinks. This was a sermon. And um, it was a bad sermon. This is nonsense. Christians for thousands of years, believe that abortion is an evil. Maybe sometimes it's a necessary evil, but it is an evil. Um, but people didn't have the guts to stand up and say that. And so you can say it gently, you can say it, you can try and back it with 2,000 years of Christian ethics, but people didn't have the courage to just stand with it. Some people even started attacking him, saying, well, he shouldn't have even been there. They shouldn't have employed him because he was the head of NOB Bank. Okay, wow, when Christian leaders are piling on like that, that's pretty amazing. Because the NOB Bank was um, found to be negligent with the Royal Commission. But you'll still find gutless Christianity. So we'll experience all these things and we'll see that around us. But the message... Again, the message really is, but Jesus is still in control. Don't panic. We can't be panicking. We just need to remember the world's going to be like that. It's not going to be fair. It's going to be a mess. Sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes it will be very hard to be Christian. But Jesus is in control. And his way remains unpanicked, grace and truth. self-sacrificially, even to death, if necessary. That's his way. Then we read another passage. comes from Revelation. In fact, the whole book of Revelation really is just one big um, teasing out of that message. The world's a mess, but Jesus is on a horse and he's got a sword. By the way, it's not a sword of destruction or violence. It's a sword of truth. But Jesus is the king. And in chapter 6, you get 
Um, it's a passage of the, the seven seals, which is God's plan being rolled out. And you get this um, sobering passage in verse 9. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given. So these are the martyrs, and they're in heaven. And the martyrs cry out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So these are the martyrs who are saying, fix this up, Lord. This is an injustice. When are you going to avenge our blood? And the answer is, they were given, each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. So the world keeps rolling on so that the gospel can be preached. And some will be martyred. That's what he's waiting for. It's not a masochist, but we're following Jesus and that's his call to be grace people and truth people who are preaching that message of grace and forgiveness even to death. Don't panic, but just be prepared. That's the call. <laughs> um, if you want to follow him, that's where we're going. Being grace people, even to death. Um, let me tell one more story. Um, I might have told you this before. I don't mind. I'll tell it again. I'll tell this story a hundred times. Um, some of you might have heard it. Um, there's an African bishop who came out. He's been in Springwood a bit, friends with the Tormans, called... Um, Pastor Isosomo, Bishop Isosomo now. And he, years ago he told, me, he told a story about uh, a young evangelist in their church who was out in the, uh, just out in the villages preaching the gospel and it was during a time of civil war um, and he was sort of set upon by a rebel group, a group of rebel soldiers. Um, and they asked him what he was doing and he sort of picked up his Bible and said, well... I'm here I'm with this and you've got your weapons and they're weapons of death and this is my weapon and it's a weapon of love. And they didn't like that very much. So they cut his throat and then they cut open his stomach and grabbed his Bible and stuck it in his stomach and left him in the jungle. And they went back and reported that to their leader and the leader, something just flicked a switch and he said, yeah, we've gone too far this time. So he sent a message to Isosomo and said, I want you to send me another evangelist. I don't know that guy's name, but he's the real hero of the story. Um, and he, uh, he wasn't a violent... There was no reaction of violence or of um, gutlessness, but he went out there and he went to the rebel group, went to their base, and uh, the leader said, right, I want you to tell me what it was that this other guy was, what's his message? Um, and so this second evangelist preached the gospel and then that rebel leader actually put his faith in Christ and that troop laid down their weapons after them. Um, and that's what, that's what Jesus is waiting for and before he comes back and fixes the mess. And that's our calling, people to be people of radical, almost ridiculous grace and truth speakers who will preach a gospel even to death. 
that second reading we had from 1 Peter. Let me read one verse there from there and then I will pray. I'll read a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin and notice it was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he didn't insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He bore himself, he, bore, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That Jesus bore our sins, that he walked that road, um, a road of grace and a road of truth, even to death. And we thank you for this example and we thank you for this calling to be people who likewise are people of grace, people who long for the spiritually blind around us to be forgiven, uh, however we're being treated, that we long for their blindness to be, to be lifted and for them to turn to you for forgiveness. Lord, make us people of grace and people of truth, even to death, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.